morning and welcome to North by Northeast, conversations that matter to Northeast Texas. I'm your host, Mark Haslett. Today we're going to discuss Reimagine Commerce. It's an ambitious proposal designed to make commerce a better place to live and work. Much of the plan involves a redesign of some of the town's thoroughfares, and that part has inspired some opposition as well as support. Whatever one's opinion about these ideas, one thing is not debatable. The coming years are going to change commerce. A long-range plan like Reimagine Commerce is an effort to make that change happen intentionally in a way the community wants. The alternative to planning is letting change happen to the city, and that passive approach carries its own set of risks. Our not-too-distant neighbors down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area can testify about change, the ways that it can go right, and the ways it can go wrong. Without naming names, it's not too hard to think of communities down in DFW that have done well with the metro area's growth, and in contrast, those that seem to have gotten worse. We all want commerce and the rest of Northeast Texas to thrive and not just survive the changes that lie ahead. Where we might differ is how to make that happen. There are two big-picture dynamics that will influence the future of commerce. One is external, the other is internal. Externally, we have the steady advance of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex as the development marches up Interstate 30 and the other highways leading from our sleepy corner of the state down to the sprawling outskirts of DFW, which are finally knocking on our door. For years, the physical barriers of Lake Ray Hubbard and Levon Lake slowed the pace of development on the Dallas area's northeastern periphery, but it's safe to say today that DFW has jumped the lakes. Along I-30, Royce City is our current boom town with acres of subdivisions dotting the prairies, a lively downtown, and, of course, an enormous Bucky's. To our west, Farmersville is making some tough choices, as the future design of U.S. Highway 380 will determine a lot about how that community makes the transition from a quiet country town into a 21st century exurb. And to the north, our friends in Fannin County will soon have not just one, but two new reservoirs. Some say that's for the better. Some say it's for the worse. As the concrete tide advances toward commerce, it's important to remember that our public institutions, however imperfect, do give us a say in what it's all going to look like. Case in point, not too long ago, some private developers had an idea for a toll road running from Greenville to the Bush Turnpike in Dallas County. That plan seemed to have momentum, but public opposition squashed the project. As a result, today the communities of Caddo Mills, Josephine, and Nevada do not have a gigantic freeway roaring past their front porches. Not all proposals make it past the drawing board. The other big factor in the future of commerce is local and, of course, it's the university. As the only four-year institution between Dallas and Texarkana, Texas A&M University Commerce is what makes commerce unique in this part of the state. Right now, the university is doing quite well. For decades, the school, fondly known as Old E.T., quietly fulfilled its mission as a regional institution, beloved locally, but not very high profile outside of this region. In recent years, A&M Commerce has become more ambitious. Some of those ambitions have already been realized. A big spike in enrollment that peaked a few years ago has now leveled off, but that's not a sign of ill health. Universities nationwide are currently struggling to keep their enrollment at desired levels. A&M Commerce remains on a general upswing. Energy is high, goals are optimistic, and the overall vibe remains upbeat. But 
the school still faces some of the challenges left over from decades past. Many faculty and staff still commute from elsewhere. Some students also commute. Ask them why, and the reasons will vary, but many will say there just isn't much to keep them in commerce once work or classes are through. It's a conundrum, a chicken and egg kind of problem. Many people from the university community don't live here because they say commerce doesn't always feel like a college town. And, of course, the reason commerce doesn't always feel like a college town is because so many people from the university community don't live here. Some of the Reimagine Commerce plan focuses on making commerce a more attractive place for students, faculty, and staff to live, as well as work and attend classes. Presumably, that's a desirable outcome. But are the needs of the entire community of commerce always congruent? Is what's good for the university also good for the city as a whole? For example, a big part of commerce is the neighborhood on the northeast side of town known as the Norris community. It's the historically African-American part of the city and is largely cut off from the rest of town by the railroad tracks. The physical barriers between Norris and the rest of commerce have made it harder to break down the cultural and economic barriers that far too often have fallen along those same lines. Does the Reimagine Commerce Plan serve the Norris community and give that neighborhood an opportunity to, again, not just survive, but thrive within these coming changes? To help us answer these and other questions, we have three guests in the KETR studios this morning. We have Commerce City Manager Derek Farrell. We have Commerce Councilman Gene Lockhart. And we have from Mount Moriah Baptist Church, which is located in the Norris community, Stan McKee. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. morning. And we're also going to open the phones for questions about the Reimagine Commerce Plan. Before we get started with our conversation, I should point out that while the city website does have an entire section devoted to the Reimagine Commerce proposal, uh, we've also posted a PDF of the plan on our website, KETR.org. We know that many folks are listening online this morning, so if you've got KETR.org pulled up on your computer or phone and you're listening online, look on the front page, and uh, there's a web post that we just put up this morning that has a link to the entire PDF of the Reimagined Commerce Plan, so you can follow along as we're discussing this morning. The phone number to call if you have questions for our guests is 800-882-KETR. That's 1-800-882-5387. 800-882-5387. We'll be giving that number, uh, of course, repeatedly during the course of this morning's broadcast. I'd like to begin by asking the city manager, Derek Farrell, just to give us an overview of the plan. It's a big, complex plan, so I hope that's not an unfair question. But we can hit the basic points and then get into the details as needed. Sure. And, and Mark, thanks for having us here today to talk about the plan and, and letting us be uh, a part of the program. In 2017, the uh, the mayor and some of the council members had, had talked about the tremendous success that Sulphur Springs had had in their revision of their downtown and, and the guys at the tool design group who had sort of designed that and created that vision for the community. Um, and, and they happened to be doing some work in Emory around that time. And so I started looking at similar people, uh, similar firms, urban planners, architects, and things out of the Metroplex that might be a little more cost-effective for the city, um, if nothing else, just for the travel cost. Uh, I, I really couldn't find anyone that would do the level of work that the Tool Design Group 
and ultimately did for us. And they're out of Florida. That's the reference to the travel. Well, so Ian Lockwood that uh, came in and was sort of our design lead was out of Florida, but he also brought Ken Ray out of Washington, D.C. with him and then two other designers out of South Carolina and, and Nevada. Um, so they have offices all over the place and, and they sort of converge on a space and, and get to work. Um, and when they get to work, they create community stakeholder pieces and they have meetings in a design studio and they and they go out into the community and, and visit and learn. And that's exactly what they did here. We had more than 100 people participate in stakeholder conversations uh, in City Hall. Uh, we actually took um, a couple of the designers one evening over to uh, the Norris Community Center over in the Norris community and, and had a group there come and talk. And uh, they really developed some principles about connectivity uh, making sure that the different components of the city—you mentioned the Norris community, the university, downtown, uh, even as far as you know the school district and the park system—making uh, sure those things connect with each other in a way that makes sense and and is practical for ever, for all of our purposes. Uh, legibility: If I'm looking to get to downtown from the university, it should somewhat make sense. Um, I should kind of be able to just figure it out uh, by the connectivity that's there. Um, and so those things are, are some of the principles that were built into this into this plan. I think uh, over time, lots of conversation has been had about some small portions of the plan, but it's 28 pages long, and, and there are plenty of things that we haven't talked as much about. Um, so overall, um, it is a plan that's working well, that's shaping a lot of the framework and the things that we do, and hopefully we'll talk about some of those things today. But uh, as a plan, it's been productive, and it is it is living and moldable um, to to the needs of the city as it changes. Right. We want to emphasize that this is not a done deal. This is uh, a work in progress. Uh, much of the plan involves redesign of the uh, major thoroughfares in commerce. Not all of them, but many of them, uh, particularly the two state highways. So let's begin by uh, talking about uh, State Highway 24 and the proposed changes along that road. Sure. So the proposed changes on Highway 24 uh, do include a couple of roundabouts, um, which is, is sort of become a, a bad word in commerce. Uh, but that's that's part of the the plan that's there. Uh, again, the, you know, these are things that the designers put in as as um, as they saw a benefit to it. Where that conversation came from, initially in 2016, the voters in commerce elected to uh, allow bond dollars to be used to uh, complete a study in, a, in an overpass or flyover that would allow pedestrians to walk under and cars to drive over uh, between the buildings, between the sides of 24. The intent, then, and keep this in mind, this is probably the most important part, but also the most lost part. The intent is to take our densest population of people in one area, one space. There are more people on campus than there are anywhere else in the, in the community and connect them with an area on the other side of 24 that hasn't seen the level of development you would expect from something that's just across the street from a university. So that's the goal. And that was the goal of the flyover. Well, at the time, Dr. Keck said, uh, you know, we don't want to hide the new nursing building. We don't want to hide the beauty of the campus because the campus is incredible. Um, aesthetically, is is you know one of the finest pieces in commerce. Right, Dr. Keck, the uh, most recent uh, president uh, of the university before our uh, current president, Dr. Mark Rudin. Right, and so he said, let's do let's do a grade separation where the cars go 
under and the people still walk across the street. Well, that's incredibly expensive. It may create some drainage issues, but everyone kind of said, you know what? Okay, we'll look into that. Well, when we had that conversation uh, with the tool design group, they said, guys, you're, you're making this a lot harder than it has to be. Let me tell you about these roundabouts. And they discussed the, the possibility of, of those being a affordable solution to solve the same problem and slow cars down and make the traffic flow manageable, both from pedestrian and automotive side. Um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the, the genesis of the 24 redesign um, in, in understanding that the whole goal was to connect the west side and the east side of 24 together and allow people to, to safely traverse those. Even since that uh, took place and we were looking at uh, all of the, these possibilities, so there was discussion about the development of the west side 24. And if the university grows, where does it grow to? Where does it park? So there are just tons of issues that came up along with those discussions. So finally, the uh, the university uh, realized that there is a safety issue with lots of students going across, even now, to the sports facilities on the west side of 24. So the safety issue became more and more paramount that if the university and the community is going to grow to the west, there was going to have to be a good, safe access path for students and visitors to the campus and to that side of the campus. So let's let's go on ahead and explore this topic of the roundabouts. I, I understand uh, that there's been some frustration because it seems like the roundabouts are all that people want to talk about and that there's other aspects of the plan uh, that haven't gotten very much attention. But let's go on ahead and address this issue of the roundabouts. Uh, what concerns have folks had? Uh, what have they articulated to you at the meetings and how, how would you answer those concerns? Again, just to uh, remind folks, we are taking calls. The number is 800-882-5387. That's 1-800-882-KETR. You're listening to North by Northeast. Our guests this morning are Commerce uh, Councilman Gene Lockhart. We just heard him speak. We also have with us Commerce City Manager Derek Farrell and also uh, from Mount Moriah Baptist Church, uh, a deacon there in the Norris community, uh, Stan McKee, who's a familiar face around Commerce for uh, a while. He was the uh, president of the Texas A&M University Commerce Alumni Association and uh, a well-known figure around town and so let's go on ahead and and address the roundabout in the room and 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 just engage with this situation here because perhaps it has gotten a disproportionate share of of the attention but uh clearly there's a reason for that that's only a piece of the transportation traffic issue in the city you've got live oak washington and culver greenville street and the mlk uh, street in the Norris community. The uh, company r- looked at all of these and looked at these as being the major spines by which people the, who come to our community are going to be on one of those streets sometime because those are the main routes to get around the city. And the roundabouts 
got lost or t- uh, those streets got lost in the discussion about roundabouts in my opinion so where where would the roundabouts uh be put in if that were to happen well so the the most prevalent points for roundabouts right are, are at the intersections of 24 and culver and 24 and live oak um the in that spot right so we've got Roughly 10,000 cars a day, based on the latest TxDOT traffic numbers, um, that, that pass through there. And so we would be talking about sort of, you know, some people don't tend to use street names as much as they use landmarks, right? But right. M- McDonald's, uh, the intersection by, by McDonald's and the stadium there, um, or the intersection over kind of by CVS and, and the university's new electronic signs. Um, yeah, those two intersections are sort of the primary spot for it. There are several other roundabouts discussed in the uh, in the plan itself, but the, these two have been sort of the primary focal points because of the traffic volume. So let's uh, let's contrast the pedestrian experience before we talk about uh, folks who are uh, driving. Let's contrast the pedestrian experience at such a roundabout with the way things are right now. How, how does it differ when you're trying to cross the street? Well, so as it is currently. Right, you wait for the light to turn, and then if it's four lanes, you got to get across all four lanes right now. Um, with the roundabouts, there's no signal, so the traffic tends to move more freely, but more cautiously, more slowly. Um, typically, pedestrians, if there's a car stopped waiting to enter the roundabout, the crosswalk is going to be behind the, the behind the first car rather than in front of it. So as it is now, the first car's got to watch for the pedestrians. Whereas if the first car is ahead of it, the other cars are going to see the first car and the pedestrian and, and generally create more safety for the pedestrian to get across. And the pedestrian crosses to an island in the middle and then waits to cross again. So there's some safety. The, the crosswalk itself is broken up so that you don't have to uh, tackle it all at once um, and hope the light lasts for you. Um, so those are, those are some of them. Um, then the number of opportunities to be hit by a car are actually reduced in a roundabout. Uh, there's, I think, 64, uh, 32 conflict points associated with a, with a normal intersection, 32 opportunities for a, a person to be hit, and only 16 opportunities in a roundabout for, for those two points to collide mathematically. So, so that's, that's the pedestrian experience, and you've mentioned uh, apparently somebody has done studies of this sort of thing. What are the success and failure stories uh, of roundabouts? Uh, those of us who travel down to DFW, perhaps if you've been in the northern DFW suburbs, uh, particularly uh, Grapevine, South Lake, that area, if you've driven down there some, then you encounter those. Uh, so uh, what what are the... What are the reactions in this part of the world with people who grew up around here are used to driving on the types of roads and highways that you find in uh, Texas? Uh, what have been the reactions in those communities? The people that are using, and I'm talking to former students that live in the Metroplex and been around the world, uh, once they're accustomed to the roundabouts, they think they're the best thing. However, those of us that haven't driven on those, the first roundabout I ever drove on was on an island in the Caribbean, and on top of everything else, you drove on the left-hand side of the road. <laughs> so my introduction to roundabouts was a, a kind of a, an overwhelming experience. 
but even under that circumstance, the the ability to just slow things down without coming to a dead stop. Uh, you don't have people racing to get to a stoplight like we see frequently uh, on 24 now uh, and running the lights and tr- trying to get there, trying to beat the lights, so to speak. Uh, general uh, reaction around the country, I think, is uh, people are very concerned about roundabouts until they have one. And then they like it or they accept it. But uh, for starters, it is so f- so different than anything else that we have in our normal world. Uh, there's great concern about its uh, operation. We have lots of uh, truck traffic uh, on that road. Obviously, that's a uh, safety is- issue for pedestrians, uh, but also a safety issue for uh, folks on the road, the truck drivers themselves, people who are sharing the road with those big trucks. And we've heard people express anxiety about the ability of those big tractor trailers to get through the roundabouts. Uh, so let's let's address that concern. Well, so every, every portion of a TxDOT highway is required to meet TxDOT design standards. In fact, the sidewalks we just built on Live Oak, uh, because they're on a TxDOT highway, we're required to meet TxDOT design standards, even though they're sidewalks. So TxDOT takes the ability for for traffic to move very seriously. Um, I think that in this case, it's worth noting that the TxDOT design manuals um, require every improvement on a, on a highway to accommodate a WB57 vehicle. That's the, the technical name they give essentially what you and I call a, a, a tractor trailer. Um, it's the biggest truck on the road that you can get without a special permit. Um, one feature of a roundabout is called a mountable ring. Um, so while the truck should be able to just maneuver around, um, now it won't be able to do a U-turn, right? But today, uh, an 18-wheeler or a big truck can't do a U-turn in a, in a normal intersection either. Right. So that's, that's not a loss. But it should be able to maneuver around. But in those situations where it has difficulty or maybe it's a, a dr- less experienced driver that's working through it, right? Um, in those situations, the mountable ring allows a space where you and I and our cars are not going to go and drive over the top of it. But if they need to, their wheels can just pop up on the side of it and, and move around. And it's not going to damage the curb. Right. It's designed for that purpose. That's what right. they call it, mountable. And there's there's enough of that mountable curb there to where, you know, they're not going to be going into the landscaping and so forth. And right. looking at the big picture, we've had examples and studies that have been done by areas in Dallas where there are major trucking firms, a, a concentrated area of warehouse work uh, buildings. And with uh, the roundabouts right next door to them and they're in the roundabouts almost as soon as they come out of their parking lots. So apparently, from other people's experience, there's plenty of room to be able to handle any traffic that would be coming down Highway 24. Okay, well, we, uh, we're visiting with Gene Lockhart of the Commerce City Council, Derek Farrell, Commerce City Manager. We're also joined today by Stan McKee from Mount Moriah Baptist Church in the Norris community here in Commerce. And we've talked a little bit about roundabouts, and we still have about a half hour of show left, so I'm excited about that because even though the roundabouts are a compelling topic, obviously people feel ways about them. There's a whole lot more 
to this plan than just those two proposed roundabouts uh, on uh, State Highway 24. So when we return from a short break, we will be uh, speaking about the Norris community and uh, the desire that folks have to make sure that Norris is not left out of this conversation and that any reimagined commerce plan uh, is working for the betterment of everyone who lives here and not just folks uh, associated with the university. So uh, that and much more during this next half of North by Northeast. Phone lines are wide open, 800-882-5387. You can join the conversation at 800-882-KETR, 800-882-5387. You're listening to North by Northeast on listener-supported radio for Northeast Texas, 88.9 KETR. Remember, the largest single source of support for public radio is the people who use public radio, listeners like you. And isn't that just the way it should be? The people who use this service, support this service, the people who know that KETR is a valuable part of this community, support their community by supporting KETR. Thanks. You're listening to North by Northeast, conversations that matter to Northeast Texas. Hope you're having a good morning. Thanks for making us a part of your Friday morning here on 88.9 KETR. I'm your host, Mark Haslett. We are joined by a couple of folks from Commerce um, City Government, City Manager Derek Farrell, City Councilman Gene Lockhart, and we are also joined by Stan McKee, who's uh, here from Mount Moriah Baptist Church, although that's not the only thing Stan's known for around town. He's a longtime member of the Texas A&M University Commerce Community, got his engineering degrees here, and was president of the Alumni Association for a while. So, Stan, um, Mount Moriah is uh, the uh, biggest church of the various churches in the Norse community, of course. It's that it's that real big church over there. And... Uh, we were talking during the break about how some aspects of the reimagined commerce plan are already in effect. Uh, we've had some improvements over at Ivory Moor Park, which were a long time in coming, but uh, we're, we're happy to have them. So if you could kind of describe uh, what things are like in Norris right now. And, and also, if you could, uh, just for the benefit, we have many listeners uh, from around the region, not just folks here in Commerce. Uh, we've got people listening in Greenville, Bonham, Sulphur Springs, elsewhere around the region who maybe they've been through Commerce, but maybe they've never been in the Norris community. Uh, so if you could just kind of describe that part of town uh, for people who have not visited it. Okay. Uh, Mark, uh, first of all, let me say that, uh, you know, you, you made a comment about maybe many people have not had opportunity to visit uh, that community. It, it, probably one of the reasons why is because of accessibility uh, or inaccessibility, I should say. Um, you know, the the main thoroughfare to come into uh, the Norris community at this point is is Sycamore Street, and Sycamore Street, of course, uh, uh, moves down through uh, the Norris community. It, it uh, actually makes a turn there at the uh, cemetery, and and then uh, comes comes eventually on into uh, 
uh, location of where our church is, Mount Moriah Temple Baptist Church, and then continues straight on up into uh, uh, Ivermore Park. So it's just not a, a, an easy way to uh, to to get to that area. Uh, but people who have lived in the Norse community, and let, and let me make a correction. That was something, I guess, that was said earlier is that uh, I've never resided in the Norse community. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, in that community. I've spent a lot of, uh, of years uh, down in that area uh, as the uh, manager for, uh, back in the early days, Texas Power and Light Company, and then more recently, Encore. Uh, so I'm familiar with that area. Of, have an awful lot of friends in that area um, that uh, have shared over the years uh, uh, in, in 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 the growth of commerce. And and the other thing I will say about my background is uh, also uh, several years ago, back in the '90s, I should say, uh, I also uh, was the president of the Chamber of Commerce. Oh, okay. And and in that role uh, back then, uh, we were really talking about a lot of improvements and things that we wanted to do, not only for just uh, the business community and commerce, but the, you know the community as a as a whole. And so, fast forward, this reimagined uh, uh, action plan that has been developed. There, there are a lot of, of, of good tenants in it. I, I don't know. We've had some conversation here this morning about some some things that uh, uh, some of uh, our residents in the community have expressed concern about. Uh, but uh, I think, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in here that uh, uh, will be very good uh, for this community. Um, and as I look at the plan, uh, it takes a lot of collaboration uh, from the various entities that make up this community to make this happen. And so that, that's going to be the most important piece uh, of it. But back to your, your original comment about Norse community. Uh, over the last several years, I have noticed that uh, uh, there's been a, a, a major effort, I should say, to, uh, uh, to reduce uh, the structures in that community that uh, uh, were in a dilapidated state. Uh, they've been been taken down. Uh, there's been uh, a, a major effort to improve uh, uh, lots uh, that were, you know, standing with tall grass. Uh, and as Derek had uh, had commented, you know, there's some uh, improvements that have been made to uh, Ivory Moor Park uh, that I think uh, a lot of people have uh, uh, been pushing and wanting to to happen uh, for some time now. You know, when I think about uh, Ivory Moor Park in, in in the Norse community again I go way back to the days when um, uh, Ivory Moor uh, was really involved in uh, securing what was then called community development block grants uh, from the state of Texas uh, to to do uh, a lot of infrastructure work particularly street improvements and, and I accompanied him to Austin on numerous occasions uh, to work on trying to secure these these grants, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Moore has passed on now. But uh, you know, kudos to him for the efforts that he put into this community way back years ago uh, in trying to uh, you know better better the community. 
Just for the benefit of folks uh, who haven't been to Norris, it's an overwhelmingly residential community. There's not a big uh, commercial strip uh, of businesses in the Norris community. There might be a small business here or there, but for the most part, it's uh, it's a residential community, lots of older homes. As you mentioned, uh, the city has been very vigorous in its efforts in recent years uh, to, um, to uh, improve some of those areas where a property had been abandoned. You had a vacant lot, so forth. Um, that's good news for the most part, although there's an aspect of that. If the property taxes uh, go up as a result of the home valuations rising, then that can create a problem for folks on fixed incomes. And we could talk about that a little bit later, perhaps. But right now we have a caller. Uh, we have uh, John from Delta County. He's on the phone right now. So, uh, John, you are now on the air. Welcome to North by Northeast. And uh, what's your comment or question? Hi, Mark. I don't want to interrupt the uh, good conversation you have in the Norris community, so you may want to address this afterwards, but let me just go ahead and ask the question, and you can see where it fits. Okay. Over here in Delta County, um, some of the people over here that have been here for decades, we're more into the quality of life and having agriculture, and it's quite different view than, of course, a, uh, a, a city such as Commerce, which has a lot of potential, has a lot of uh, you know good folks, good intelligent people, and y'all quite often just simply focus on growth. You want a quality of growth, but it's numbers. And so th- one of the key things that, that hits between those two different viewpoints is the night sky. And commerce every year has taken away more and more of the stars that we can see out here just to the east of you. And we've wondered, does commerce ever recognize the impact that they have on the land and on the sky and on the quality of life in general with simply the focus on we want to be a bigger city? And so I'll take the answer off the air, and I think it's a valid uh, point of discussion, and I really appreciate your taking it. Uh, our pleasure, John. Thanks for calling in. John from Delta County. And uh, folks, light, light pollution is indeed a thing. I mean, I, I live right here in Commerce. I definitely notice the difference uh, in my night sky quality uh, if there is a football game down at Memorial Stadium. So uh, uh, who would like to address uh, John's question for us today? Having grown up in a farm farming community in Iowa, uh, I experienced the ability to go out at night and uh, look up at the stars without light spilling into everything. Uh, and you're certainly right. Uh, we have lights on all the businesses, and they're on 24-7 most of the time. And uh, it is of concern. Uh, We don't want to infringe on your sky, I guarantee you. At the same time, humanity keeps wanting to have more and more lights. We have discussions with students about safety on campus, and the first thing they say is, we must have more lights. So it's a a tug of war between uh, our expectations for brilliance of condition that we're walking in in safety and also to being able to get to the night sky. Uh, it's a constant uh, struggle to balance those. It is indeed uh, something that uh, might be relevant from a, uh, the absolute other end of Texas, way out in Big Bend. Um, some of you might be aware of the fact that the University of Texas has uh, an observatory 
uh, located just outside of Fort Davis, uh, out in the Big Bend country in far west Texas. And uh, they had some concerns with uh, the city of Alpine, which is similar to Commerce in some ways. It's a city uh, of about... Oh, I don't know what the population is right now. It's probably up to about commerce levels. It's probably about 8,000 folks right now. They have a uh, state university out there, Sol Ross State University. It's a little bit smaller than A&M Commerce. Uh, but they had a problem with light pollution from Alpine affecting um, the quality of their work at the McDonald Observatory out there near Fort Davis. Uh, in particular, there was a McDonald's sign that uh, was stretched way up into the sky it was the uh, tallest structure in uh, alpine if you excluded the courthouse and the university buildings and they uh, the observatory was successful in uh, getting mcdonald's to bring its sign a little bit close, closer to ground level so it wasn't interfering with the university so uh, i would i would point out that it's pretty difficult for someone who's in a place like delta county to have a direct influence uh, on uh, municipal policy in commerce. You know, the, the people of Delta County are powerless to uh, vote on an ordinance uh, that would affect uh, businesses and lighting in commerce. Of course, that's a municipal law and uh, only uh, only folks who are in commerce get to um, make decisions about stuff like that. But I think that in a region like Northeast Texas, we are used to the idea of cooperating with one another and uh, understanding that decisions Decisions that we make uh, might affect others uh, outside of our political jurisdiction. So if, if that's a concern that's valid to folks, maybe they could um, uh, follow up on that and uh, participate. The, uh, the council meetings are open to the public. Uh, you don't have to be a commerce resident to attend. Uh, they're open to the public, and you're welcome to show up and address those concerns. So light pollution is one of those things that might not be at the top of your list when you're talking about the price of development, but... It's uh, it's definitely uh, in the picture. I don't imagine there's anything in the reimagined commerce plan as it is that addresses that. Or perhaps I'm wrong. Is there? You know, there's there's not really. Um, now we'll say light pollution can also affect residential areas. And when you really get away from the university or away from downtown, or you know, kind of not on Culver Street, um, we really have to pay attention to light pollution as it is there. Um, so there is some degree of, of us paying attention to it just by our own land use designations. Right. Um, but it doesn't always necessarily take into account what we may do to another community. Right. I, I had some experience with students, and we were uh, walking the campus one night, and I wanted to know where the dark spots were and what was, what was the student's concern. Uh, and we discovered is uh, it depends where the dorm or where the housing happens to be in relationship to other very bright uh, establishments around the campus. And so uh, it's kind of a, a sliding scale. I can walk in my neighborhood and I have plenty of light until I compare it to the gas station or the eatery that's next door to my somewhat dark uh, neighborhood, so it's a it's a real balancing act that we have to work with. It, it is indeed, and um, perhaps there's some type of directional lighting that uh, could be used to kind of help minimize correct those uh, impacts. Mark, I was just going to say, uh, you know, I had a 40 year career with the electric company, 
<laughs> and uh, obviously, um, you know, uh, through those years, I've had a lot of conversation with various cities uh, about uh, the placement of streetlights. And, um, you know, there's always this, this balance of safety uh, versus uh, uh, nuisance, uh, considered nuisance in terms of uh, light exposure. Uh, I, I don't know that we're ever going to, I mean, uh, get that uh, to where everybody's happy. Um, uh, it is uh, something that, uh, and, and particularly I'm glad to see in and around the university from a safety aspect that uh, the university has done a wonderful job in terms of placing lights uh, in, in and around the uh, university. Yeah. yeah, it is It is definitely a, a pretty uh, well-lit campus at night. Returning to the Norris community and uh, the conversation that we're having uh, a little bit earlier, what is in the current version of the Reimagine Commerce uh, plan for the Norris community? Looking at the uh, PDF here, I'm at the bottom of page six. Uh, for folks who are listening online, there's a PDF of the Reimagine Commerce plan that's posted on the front page of our website, KTR.org. There's also a huge Reimagine Commerce section at the city's website. But if you just want to look at the PDF, it's on the front page of KTR.org. And I'm at the bottom of page six, and I'm seeing two dotted lines coming out of the downtown area, uh, both connecting with MLK Drive and leading out to Ivorymore Park. If you're looking at the PDF, that uh, green square at the eastern end of the dotted line uh, on MLK Drive, that's Ivorymore Park where uh, some much-needed uh, refurbishments have uh, have been uh, provided recently. Uh, either one of y'all uh, city government types, what's that blue dotted line? What does that represent? That represents a street or a thoroughfare into the community. One of the problems with uh, city planning in general, right, is that on newer sections of cities, you tend to have a grid system that makes sense. If I missed my turn on Tanglewood Street, I can go down to Edna and turn back around and, and hit it again. That doesn't exist over in the Norse community. The, the, the streets are kind of everywhere, and not to mention, I think uh, Mr. McKee made a, a good reference to it earlier, that when you come in on Martin Luther King Street, you can follow Martin Luther King Street where it becomes Ross Street, and then it's going to hit Champion Street, where it hits to, goes in front of Martin, uh, goes in front of Mount Moriah, and then picks back up as Martin Luther King Street again, just a, a block and a half up. It's very confusing. Yes. In fact, one of the funniest street names in Northeast Texas, I think, is Short MLK. It's <laughs> yeah. it's it's one block. Yeah. It's right over there by uh, by Stan's Church, and yeah, it's it's really so when you have existing. Uh, when you have existing uh, street design that's that's like this, where it's almost like this sort of labyrinth that you would expect uh, more to find in a place like Boston than in Texas, uh, what can you do about that without just completely ripping up the the neighborhood? Well, so one suggestion we actually got a short time after we did this this plan uh, came from a, a resident over in the in the North community. He said, you know, we. We can't navigate Martin Luther King Street. We need better signage. So we got with Public Works, and we started putting better signage out there. Now, we still have a ways to go on some signage over there, but uh, but that that's at the kind of the forefront of our thought process in helping people navigate, and it's that legibility piece. Can I guess where the street goes next if, if I'm on it? So what improvements would be made uh, to the areas that are indicated uh, on this uh, map in the uh, PDF that we're looking at? 
It becomes part of the web, the major thoroughfares at this point or before this study was done and plan laid out. There was no thought about that street. Now there is, just like uh, Live Oak in Washington and Culver and Greenville. In other words, there's intent about which streets are going to be the main thoroughfares and how do we make those prominent and easily to navigate. And as a town grows up, uh, lots of change, changing in preferences and concerns. Uh, trying to get that into a long-range plan is an important part of this whole effort. And I want to add, before we hit the end, one of the things that's happened because of this study, it doesn't contain all the answers. In fact, it produ- produces as many questions as there are answers. But we're seeing an increased activity from businesses in the corporate world and people th- talking about moving to commerce because of the ideas and the openness that we've had and the discussions that we had in the planning, long-term planning for the healthy universe, uh, community for our citizens. And it's uh, it's been exciting to watch uh, these kinds of efforts, the renewal of downtown, the organization of the downtown merchants. All these are really healthy signs for our city. What would be uh, the improvements along MLK? Would we be uh, looking at uh, new sidewalks uh, like we have on the uh, south side of Live Oak that have just been put in? Because just addressing the concerns of the Norris community, you've got lots of kids and you've got lots of old people who live there. So you have children, you have people with mobility impairments um, who... uh, you know, might uh, have some, uh, you know, mobility assistance device, wheelchair, uh, transport chair, something like that. Uh, would there be something in this plan that would make MLK Drive a place where they could travel safely and not, you know, you have a situation where you've got somebody pushing their loved one in the street if they're trying to take them to the park or something? Well, so ideally, right. There's two pieces to that. There's pedestrian access, and, and the plan presents the idea of complete streets, meaning that there's a consideration for vehicles, a consideration for the, the people on bicycles and wheelchairs and other things, and the, and the people walking. Um, along MLK, you know, we'd like to identify those areas where we can do those things, but one of the things that the council has, has sort of directed us to do as staff is, is develop a street survey uh, with a pavement condition index score. As we do that, that will that will allow us to prioritize streets in other other areas um, across the city, whether it's in the North community or not. Um, but then, as we identify priority streets to work on, we'll also be assessing the infrastructure for water, sewer, sidewalks, all of those things in the, in that space. So, plans are are being developed and, and prioritized based on the needs and, and the and the conditions that exist that are identified by their studies. Stan, just speaking in your conversations with folks over at Mount Moriah, what what are some of the uh, questions, concerns that you've heard uh, people mention? Mark, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we, we probably have to talk about, and, I, you know, there are a lot of people who are uh, very familiar with this reimagined plan when it was first announced and 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 clearly it's like everywhere else everybody wants to know well what's how's it going to impact me what's what's going to happen in my part of town 
uh, so to speak. And so, so from that standpoint, uh, some of the conversations that we've just recently had about streets and, and sidewalks, when we get sidewalks, uh, that, you know, those are some of the conversations. There are, there are people who are very concerned and very focused on that. Um, and then when you look at the plan itself, and, and you referenced this page six a while ago, and it's, it's, it's noted here, there are, two, there are two major impediments, I guess, with respect to um, the Norris, moving into the Norris community, and that's, that's the railroad tracks, and then also the fact that there's a Superfund site uh, was located there. So, you know, th- there's, there's going to have to be um, a major, um, uh, uh, I guess, plan in place to get around or to move forward past those two issues. Uh, if if Norris community is 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 going to develop in accessibility, like I talked about talked about earlier, uh, is going to be a key point. We're, we're going to have to do something with those two issues. And so when you look at the railroad, for instance. Uh, that's going to be major because, um, you know, you get involved with railroad commission in terms of trying to, uh, you know, make a bridge or, or or some access, you know, around the track. And then, of course, I'm not even familiar with all what all has to happen as far as uh, uh, moving forward past the Superfund site. That's that's another huge issue. Um, you know. The Norris community is not like, not unlike a lot of communities in the state of Texas and in small uh, cities, where in years past there's been, um, you know, maybe not a major effort to to make those improvements in those communities, and so now we're faced with with moving forward with that. And so again, like I talked about earlier, it's going to take collaboration uh, from the city. Um, the uh, the state, um, you know, I mentioned a while ago some state funding that that uh, used to be available. I know it's different today than what it was back then. Um, uh, all of these things are going to have to come into play to uh, to move this plan forward and make it better for the citizens in the Norris community. And that's going to require engagement. Yes. So, uh, but uh, the good news is is that there's plenty of time. And there's uh, still a lot that can be done. And you mentioned that Superfund site over there. That might be a topic that we revisit in a future episode of this program. Uh, as far as this morning goes, uh, the music bed is telling me that we're out of time. <laughs> and uh, we're going to uh, join NPR News in progress in just a couple of moments. And we'd like to thank our guests this morning on North by Northeast, uh, Stan McKee who we just heard from, uh, from Mount Moriah Baptist Church. Also, Gene Lockhart of the Commerce City Council and uh, the Commerce City Manager, Derek Farrell. And my name's Mark Haslett. I'm the host. This program has been produced by Jared Knight, and you've been listening to North by Northeast, Conversations That Matter to Northeast Texas. Stick around right after NPR News. We'll be joining live from Austin, the Texas Standard, the national news show of Texas, which you can hear weekdays on KETR from 10 until 11. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back next week.